Tonight, hitting a sour note, the Canucks' career-ending performance at an anti-mask rally in Vancouver. Plus... Maybe it's time to adopt a different testing strategy. What BC's seniors advocate says could help after Fraser Health is forced to take over two long-term care homes and... They're working for Uber. Yeah, they're, they're teaching people how to play instruments. Music agent Bruce Allen explains how COVID is devastating even moderately successful musicians right now. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. How did it get so bad? Just one of the questions after Fraser Health stepped in to oversee two Abbotsford long-term care homes battling serious COVID outbreaks. Additional leadership support is now deployed to help with the pandemic response at Tabor and Menno Homes. Kristen Robinson has more. Abbotsford's Tabor home trying to stay strong. It lost five residents in just one day last month, and its boss hopes the Fraser Health intervention will stop COVID-19's lethal spread. Having that kind of leadership layered on top of what we're already doing will give us one more opportunity to um, control the virus and ideally end the outbreak as soon as possible. In May, as Langley Lodge was in the grips of the province's deadliest outbreak, Fraser Health appointed a director of pandemic response. As of Friday, 91 residents have been infected at Tabor Home, along with 63 staff. 18 people have died. At Menno Home in Abbotsford, there have been 25 resident cases, 16 staff infections, and one death. These things, once they get into a care home, they take a life of their own. By the time that you develop symptoms and you get tested, um, the damage is already done. The virus, he says, is being brought in by asymptomatic staff. The way we'll get these care homes uh, outbreaks under control is to, is to get the community transmission under control. We saw that from wave one. BC's seniors advocate and Tabor Home say using rapid tests on site for staff screening would be an extra layer of protection. But the province doesn't think they're as accurate as lab results. The rapid testing, if it was done Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, say three times a week, then we, we would um, capture more information on the people who have uh, COVID and we'd be able to prevent them from entering the building. Given the level of uh, transmission we have in the lower mainland right now, I think it makes sense. For now, Fraser Health says rapid testing is done on staff, patients and residents when there are transmission concerns within a unit. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And Fraser Health has declared outbreaks at two more long-term care homes today. Two staff members at the Bradley Center in the Chilliwack General Hospital have tested positive. The same goes for one staff member and one resident at Lakeshore Care Center in Coquitlam. All four are self-isolating at home. Staff levels are being maintained and a number of measures are being implemented, including restrictions on visitors, movement within the facilities and enhanced cleaning. A Delta homeowner and five party guests have been fined for breaking COVID rules. Delta's top cop tweeted about the late Thursday night party, apparently just the latest weekly function held at the home during the pandemic. 
Police got a complaint about a house party near 120th and 72nd in North Delta and found partygoers in their 20s running out the back door. The homeowner, also in her 20s, admitted she was having people over. She was slapped with a $2,300 fine for breaking COVID orders. Five of her guests also got $230 fines. Schools in the Fraser Health District will now keep people informed about COVID-19 exposures in a new way. Superintendent Jordan Tinney tweeted details about three types of letters that will now go out. One, indicating exposure will be released to classes when a released rather two classes when a positive case was at the school during their infectious period. A not exposed letter will be released to all others in the school. And finally, an all school letter will be released when a case is not attached to any specific class. That could include if, say, a vice principal or janitor tests positive. The district says contact tracing will then take place and a school bulletin will be issued. Teachers welcome the new initiative. But it's good to know if you've been exposed in your cohort so you can monitor yourself and maybe limit your interactions. You know, like if you find out that someone, in, a, a child in your class or a teenager in your class was positive and you've been exposed to them, well, perhaps you monitor yourself and you don't go and visit your mother in the nursing home. You know, you might just take an extra precaution. Revelstoke's coronavirus cluster has grown to 49 cases. Interior Health announced the community cluster late last month after 22 cases were identified over two weeks. Revelstoke now has 23 active cases, including three new infections since Monday. 26 people have recovered from the virus. Health officials say social gatherings are to blame for some of the transmissions. They're also stressing the importance of sticking to essential travel only after reports of people coming into the mountain city to ski. Interior Health says a community cluster in the West Kootenay region is now contained. 25 cases were connected to Salmo in the area south of Nelson. The majority of cluster cases were from several social events in the village of Salmo in late October and early November. No exposures were identified in school settings. Well, there was another anti-masker rally in downtown Vancouver today, this one featuring a certain high-profile individual who lost his job over his appearance there. Mark Donnelly used to sing the anthems at Canucks games, but was fired when it was announced he would be doing the same thing at an event that discourages people, or encourages people rather to ignore pandemic safety rules. Nadia Stewart has the story. It was Mark Donnelly's decision to sing the national anthem here at the BC Christmas Freedom Rally that has made this a controversial appearance for the former Vancouver Canucks national anthem singer. But for Donnelly, he says the decision to participate was based on reason and love for his fellow Canadians. I had reason to believe that they would be fine with it, with it, but I also am not so naive to think that there's no chance of any consequences. After the Vancouver Sun published an article about Donnelly's appearance at Saturday's anti-mask rally, team owner Francesco Aquilini tweeted, quote, Hey, Vancouver Sun, change the headline to former Canucks anthem singer. Hashtag wear a mask. It seems like uh, the more respectful way would have been to, uh, to call me up, find out from my 
my own mouth whether it was true and also find out my reasons for doing so. At the event, which drew a moderate crowd, Donnelly explained his reasons for attending, expressing concerns widely shared by many here over the provincial and international handling of the pandemic. What was originally sold as a 15-day hunkering down sprint for the common good has turned into a 10-month marathon from hell where the finish line is constantly being moved farther into the distance. And I think we all have to remember as well that this is a marathon, not a sprint. To be clear, officials in British Columbia characterized the current situation as a marathon right from the start. And while a vaccine is on the horizon, this week Dr. Bonnie Henry reiterated the province would not force anyone to take it. We have no mandatory immunization programs in this country and in this province, and we do not expect um, that COVID immunization will be mandatory. Donnelly sang the national anthem at an anti-abortion rally in the past, but he said it did not yield the same response. He says team management seemed to respect his right to express his personal opinion. Go Canucks go! While he will miss singing at Canucks games. Yeah, of course. But there are, there are things, sometimes there's things that are greater. Donnelly says so far he feels like his decision to sing here is worth it. Nadia Stork, Global News. Many major music artists will be able to weather the pandemic on royalties and savings. But what about the average working musician? The venues are closed and little help from the government. Well, it's pretty bleak for many. Tonight, Paul Johnson speaks with a struggling artist and one of the world's biggest music agents. Ain't got no money, baby. No place to call my own. Check out the talent of Surrey bluesman Brandon Isaac. Able to do four things simultaneously, he's a genuine one-man band. And for 35 years, he's made his living entirely off his music. Yeah, the sun is shining, but it's raining in my heart. Before COVID hit, I was probably gigging four or five times a week. Isaac's now getting booked a couple of times a month and for less pay. Local musicians, it's, it's been devastating. For them. Veteran talent agent Bruce Allen says musicians in the middle rungs of the economy are hardest hit, having lost an entire summer season and not able to fall back on the royalties that the big acts can get. The, the big stars, uh, of, of course the top echelon, they are just waiting it out. Certainly a huge range of um, people freaking out. Kelly Danes books performers like Isaac into venues across Western Canada and says, ironically, those who were able to quit their day jobs might be hardest hit. A lot of people get used to gigging all the time and they become really dependent on that as a regular living and it's been devastating for a lot of people. We're broke and hungry, baby, give me a dime. While Bruce Allen expects live music will make a roaring comeback when this finally passes, Isaac worries that in the meantime, an entire cohort of players and the styles they've kept alive could simply disappear. You're getting all the hardcore pros like me putting the guitar under the bed. And we're going to become extinct like the dodo bird. COVID-19 makes for a hard, hard time. In Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News.
The health ministry has dropped a bombshell about spending concerns at the Provincial Health Services Authority. The authority is accused of making unnecessary and unbudgeted renovations to its Vancouver headquarters. It's also accused of authorizing excessive catering expenses for executives between March and June of this year. Concerns were also raised over the purchase of problematic respirators. The ministry is now recommending limits to PHSA's spending without prior approval from the province. It will also be hiring a third-party advisor to look into the, quote, problematic purchase of personal protective equipment. Police are investigating the fatal stabbing of a young man in East Vancouver last night. Officers were called to North Templeton Drive and Dundas Streets where they found a person suffering multiple stab wounds. He was transported to hospital but did not survive. Police have identified the victim as 19-year-old Thomas Simon of Burnaby. Vancouver police say three people dressed in black and wearing face masks were seen fleeing the area. Investigators believe the incident was targeted and there is no further risk to the public. It's Vancouver's 17th homicide this year. This was the scene in Metro Vancouver today. Hundreds rallying in support of Indian farmers. Punjabi farmers are protesting new agricultural laws which allow crops to be sold directly to private buyers in India instead of being regulated, effectively driving down prices. Those at the rally spoke out against how the Indian government has responded to the protests there. So they use a force on those peaceful protests. And then um, this was just a one highlight. They dug the main like uh, highway, um, like uh, they, they they dug out like a uh, 10 feet to stop the protest. Um, the highways were dug, and then the force was used. The tear gas was uh, thrown on the farmers' peaceful protest, and then they were using all sort of techniques to to like uh, uh, torpedo this protest. And the convoy began at the Cloverdale Fairgrounds and ended at the Indian Consulate in downtown Vancouver. Vancouver will not be ringing in the new year with a big bang, not this way anyway. Concord's New Year's Eve fireworks display has been cancelled. In previous years, the annual display was held in Coal Harbour with huge crowds attending. But current restrictions make it impossible to hold the event safely or legally. Vancouver's New Year's Eve Celebration Society says instead it is focusing on something even bigger and better for next year. It's a silent killer, and it's very near, very nearly claimed the life of a West Kelowna man. Police and firefighters narrowly saved the man and his two pets from carbon monoxide poisoning after his son made a worried call to the RCMP. Darian Matassa Fung has the warning we should all take to heart. We got a call just after 3 a.m. in the morning uh, for a possible carbon monoxide leak in a residence with pets inside. Quick action from the West Kelowna RCMP and the fire department saved the lives of a man and his two pets on Wednesday. So our guys attended. Uh, they searched the house, obviously, in breathing apparatus. Uh, they found a furnace that was giving off large concentrations of carbon monoxide. Police were able to call the father and found the man was confused and in distress. RCMP were able to locate the father's home and take him to the hospital. They then found out he was suffering from carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, they then completed a search of the residence and found a dog and a cat. The animals were taken to a local animal hospital where they made a quick recovery. It's situations like this that have one retired Canadian firefighter advocating for mandatory CO detectors in every home in Canada. 
carbon monoxide is the uh, silent killer. It's called that because it's colorless, odorless, and tasteless. So the only way you'll ever know that carbon monoxide gases are in your home is if you have a CO detector. Currently, only Ontario and Yukon territories have laws mandating CO alarms in homes. And the man police rescued in West Kelowna was a BC resident without one. Luckily, his son was able to contact the authorities in time to save his father and his pets. Darian Matassafung, Global News. A 20-year-old merit man is attempting to run 100 miles in just 24 hours to raise money and awareness for addiction. It's a cause close to Darius Sam, who has lost family and friends to addiction. Sam managed to raise more than $100,000 for his local food bank this spring, but he ran into complications at the 89-mile mark and wasn't able to complete the marathon. But he says he's been training differently over the past few months. We'll update you on his progress on tomorrow night's news an update on a B.C. senior living in his pickup truck. 77-year-old Lance has called the truck his home for the past two years. His story caught the attention of people right across Canada, with many sending messages of help and hope, including housing, groceries and donations. A GoFundMe page has raised more than $8,000 in hopes of getting Lance back on his feet very soon. I feel a lot of warmth and uh, concern uh, for me, and uh, uh, it's quite humbling, really. And uh, it's because of uh, your concerns and uh, your uh, your uh, help that uh, this is all happening, and I can't thank you enough for it. The Family Services of the North Shore Christmas Bureau say they need a community. They say the community is in need at least 20 percent greater this year compared to last year. So West Vancouver Police and Fire Rescue Services are ramping up their annual gift drive that's needed more than ever. Often people might not even think of somewhere like North Vancouver or West Vancouver for that matter um, that have families in need, but the reality is that there are. Um, and then throw COVID into the mix and people are, are struggling even more than ever. So this year, having spoken to people from uh, the Christmas Bureau, I've been told that there are more families in need than ever. Um, from everything from people, you know, single parents losing their jobs, not being able to afford their rent, um, to people who are just isolated, seniors who are isolated, living alone, uh, living on $10 a week, barely feed themselves, let alone uh, find joy in receiving a gift. Donations are being collected until December 16th. Gift drop-offs are also being accepted at the West Vancouver Police Station or West Vancouver Fire Hall Number 1 with health and safety protocols in place, of course. The Fisherman Helping Kids with Cancer annual herring sale has turned into a drive-through event uh, to keep, with, keep up with COVID-19 safety protocols. Thank you. Approximately 50 volunteers took part with tickets bought in advance for this year's sale to raise money for kids battling cancer at BC Children's Hospital. The organization will likely go through 24 tons of fish at $20 per bag. 2,100 bags were pre-sold before the event even got underway. You know, when kids go to uh, Children's Hospital and they get, they get um, treated for cancer, um, the hospital provides all the necessities, but a lot of the amenities, the comforts, the things that, uh, you know, that don't get looked after, you know, um, you know, blankets, extra blankets, uh, video games just to help them pass that time while they're going through chemotherapy, those things are important. And I think uh, making sure people have those, those comforts of life and, and to be able to have that um, is extremely important to all of us here.
It's springtime in Australia, and one can only imagine the hay fever with this site. Tumbleweeds have taken over an entire neighborhood in Melbourne. Uh, the grass even made it difficult for some residents to leave their homes. They're believed to be uh, have blown in from a nearby field. My goodness. On the national COVID front, another record-breaking day. Alberta is reporting 1,879 new cases in the last 24 hours, the most recorded there in a single day. Ontario, 1,859 new cases. And Quebec has become the first province to record more than 2,000 new cases in one day. Nowhere is the situation more dire than in Canada's long-term care homes. When the vaccine finally rolls out, there are calls for the first doses to protect the most vulnerable. Abigail Beeman reports. Barbara Beggs died in an Ontario long-term care home in October. Her daughter, Joanne, not allowed to see her during the first wave of the pandemic. Her being isolated, me not being allowed in, I would have been all over that so much earlier. You know, maybe she could have kept the use of her hands. Maybe she didn't have to suffer like that so long. Beggs now worries about her father in long-term care. She wants to make sure essential family visitors like her have access to the vaccine in the first round. The thing we've not heard yet in the news that we are waiting for is clear clear messaging around the prioritization of our long-term care seniors, our residents, our staff, and our essential visitors. Provinces are responsible for decisions like that, but a military planning directive obtained by Global News shows Track 1 vaccines, those first 6 million doses, will be handled by a federally coordinated strategy because provinces don't have the infrastructure nor experience. And the Federal Vaccine Advisory Committee recommends long-term care residents and staff be vaccinated first. And yet we still don't have the list of uh, priority people who are going to get it or how they're going to get it. Those are actually uh, the types of uh, issues that we are actively discussing with our counterparts in the provinces and territories. It's a complex process, especially for the Pfizer vaccine expected to be approved first. It needs to be stored in ultra-cold freezers and not move too much. So I think the key question now is what models are ideal for vaccinating people that might not be mobile. You can't just, you know, be told within a day that the vaccine is coming. The, the, this sector needs to be involved. And right now they're kept in the dark. I think it would reassure people to have a clear plan in place to know these are the benchmarks. This is the plan with an understanding that some flexibility. The Ontario government tells Global News it will have more to say on all pieces of its vaccine rollout plan soon. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. In the U.S., COVID-19 has surpassed heart disease as the leading cause of death. More than 11,000 people lost their lives in just seven days. And as Jennifer Johnson explains, health experts warn it could get worse if new measures aren't brought in. For the first time, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is recommending universal mask wearing at all times outside your home. Doctors say the pandemic has entered a new phase of high-level transmission. More deaths than in the entire Vietnam War just in the past two months. And the next two months are likely to be as bad or likely worse. Starting next week, the Food and Drug Administration will begin issuing emergency use authorizations to vaccine makers, hoping within days healthcare workers and those in long-term care facilities will start to get immunized. Getting the nursing home residents vaccinated in December when they make up such a significant point of hospitalizations, we'll start to see that impact at, you know, in late, late January. 
Once approved, the federal government will ship vaccine doses to each state. Hospitals and pharmacies will then administer them. The big chains say they are ready. This is a process that is not new for us. Uh, we have serviced long-term care facilities for many years now. The strain is taking its toll on healthcare workers with over 100,000 Americans hospitalized with the virus. It is difficult. Nurses are the last person that they will see in their last breath. Many governors are ordering new lockdown measures. Some are furious people are still going to large gatherings like this secret Young Republicans Gala in New Jersey, attended by a Florida congressman. That is Representative Matt Putz. Oh, sorry, Matt Gates. I hope you're watching, Matt. You are not welcome in New Jersey. Leaders are frustrated too many Americans are still not taking this pandemic seriously as families continue to bury loved ones. This Oklahoma man lost four of his siblings. I'll see him again. You got to believe that. Larry Anishat also tested positive for COVID-19 in October, but he was one of the lucky ones in his family to survive. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. In health matters, a new complication for cancer survivors. Cancer survivors face a higher risk from the flu, making them more likely to be hospitalized or die from an infection. A study in the UK says that could mean they're also at higher risk from COVID-19 and should be prioritized for vaccinations. COVID survivors are sometimes left with nerve damage, causing chronic pain or weakness in their arms and legs. A study at Northwestern Medicine in Chicago says ultrasound or MRIs should be used to pinpoint which nerves are damaged to determine the best treatment. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Some adjustments are being made to Santa tracking this year due to the pandemic. The NORAD Santa tracking website officially launched this week, marking the 65th year children can track old St. Nick around the globe. But it may be getting a little more difficult to get onto the track to or onto the website to track Santa, uh, the phone line as well. Only uh, 10 volunteers are manning the phone line at this time. That's down from more than 150 from last year. But don't worry, callers can't, who can't get through will receive a recorded update on Santa's current location. So there's some good news. In Rio de Janeiro, Santa gave his reindeer a bit of a break and ziplined down the city's iconic Sugarloaf Mountain. Just one example of how festivities in Brazil will be looking a little different this year due to the pandemic. Brazil has the third highest case count behind the United States and India and is second only in deaths to the United States. And take a look at this. A man climbs a massive tower with not so much as a rope if he slips. Why he did it? We'll find out right after Yvonne's forecast. Yvonne, today would have been a really lovely day to climb up a tower. <laughs> <laughs> but with ropes with and ropes. gear. We'll find out why in just a moment. But yeah, it was a beautiful start to the weekend. Uh, we've had some sunshine in the mix. It's been a dry day today, a bit of a change on the way. And we still have some active weather for the northern half of the province. And I'll have the timeline coming up in just a moment. Gorgeous this morning. This is the sunrise captured in Tofino. So thank you so much, John. Our very own Ted Field caught this early this morning in Langley. A shot in Richmond. This one captured by Peter. And in West Kelowna, stunning out there. And this one taken by Kathy. So thank you so much 
for your video and photos. All right, we are seeing dry conditions. Temperatures are sitting at 5 right now. We bumped up to 10 as the high for today. The average for this time of the year sits closer to 7 degrees, and we'll get closer to that as we get in towards the latter half of the weekend. Now, overnight tonight, we've got some fog developing once again. For tomorrow morning, we'll see the fog, and then we'll have cloud cover through the day. Looks to be unsettled in a gray one tomorrow. We are tracking some showers. We've got a system that is going to work its way in. A few showers already starting to pop up along the western edge of the island, but the active weather is along the northern half of the province. Rainfall warning still in effect for the north coast inland. We've had up to 60 millimetres and there's an additional 10 and up to 15 millimetres. The wind warning, that's in red. That's for Haida Gai with the winds picking up for tomorrow morning up to 90 kilometres per hour. And a heads up for the areas that are in yellow, central coast, northern tip of Vancouver Island and the western edge. We've got a special weather statement that has been issued. The next wave of moisture that is going to push in Monday, Tuesday. The potential's there that we could see upwards of 150 millimetres. So we're looking ahead in to Tuesday. Now, this is the moisture across the northern half of the province. Tomorrow morning, it is going to be showers through the day as well for the south coast in Metro Vancouver. And then the bulk of the moisture and the heaviest rain, heads up, grab the rain gear. It'll be Monday, Tuesday, especially for the northern and western edge of the island. A quick snapshot, this takes us in towards Monday night, but upwards of 100 millimeters. We can see that along the western edge of the island. Wet and windy along the north coast, most areas 16 up to 80 kilometers per hour. Central interior, it'll be a partly cloudy sky. If if you're in the southern interior, you want to see the sunshine, it'll be for higher elevations. We've got valley cloud, a temperature version has set up, so you'll have to get higher above to see that sunshine. Whistler, we've got a few flurries just for the morning hours, changing over to a chance of showers. And along the south coast, we've got that shower activity for tomorrow. The bulk of the rain, though, and the heaviest rain will be Monday, Tuesday, a windy one for tomorrow, and then a nice break on the way will be on our Wednesday. Colleen? Looks good. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Some people are really committed to the happiness of others. Case in point, this guy. Residents in Barcelona today watched with horror and amazement as a man climbed a 33-story tower without any safety gear. That's right, George King climbed the iconic Agbar Tower without ropes or safety gear. The 20-year-old from England climbed 143 meters before making his way back down the building, where, of course, he was met at the bottom by police. King said he hoped his performance would help lift the spirits of people during the holiday season, which has been marred by the pandemic. Don't he, think he, he was, was ready. ready. He had his mask. He had his mask, <laughs> but that was the only safety. <laughs> it didn't seem like it was that big a deal. Although with a building like that, it's amazing that you can just climb climb up it that right? it has all the steps you just got to have the guts to do it i guess right yeah guts that's the word you use. okay uh what do you have coming up uh not that kind of guts for sure uh <laughs> nba season actually starts new season in uh, under three weeks and today they uh, issued out a stern warning to all teams Ooh. you best abide to the uh, the COVID protocols or face some massive penalties. So we'll go through those for you and we'll preview the big seahawks uh, giants game tomorrow in the red zone one year ago this month, the first symptomatic cases of COVID-19 were reported. As the pandemic has swept across the globe since, more than 65 million people have been infected. More than a million and a half have been killed by the virus, and that number is climbing. But in the city where it all began, you'd almost think we weren't in the middle of a pandemic. After sickness, death, and a 76-day lockdown. Wuhan and its 11 million people now feel as if the coronavirus pandemic almost never happened. 
Through it all, American Max Seward and his wife never left. Their daughter, Rachel, had just been born. At first, it seemed so like stringent and um, kind of draconian or whatever. But then, in retrospect, it seems like it actually worked. And now we've been able to enjoy our lives. They've been free to move and play since the summer. At Wuhan's main food market, hungry customers are now back in long lines. This food vendor told us he's happy. And China has crafted a proud narrative of victory in this massive government exhibition called Lives First, People First. It praises China's president, Xi Jinping, as the hero of the nation's war against COVID, followed by frontline healthcare workers. Mentions of the dead are rare. Now Beijing suggests COVID may have come from abroad, pointing to the U.S., Italy, and India. This is the Wuhan Institute of Virology, believed by some to be the origin of COVID-19. Now, we tried to get access to this institute for months, but we were turned down. We also tried to interview many Chinese doctors across the country. They all said they were either busy or were frankly barred from speaking with us. Coronavirus researcher Dr. Lin Fa Wong did. Born in Shanghai, he's based in Singapore. Let's face it, a human outbreak started in Wuhan. Just don't say it's not from China. It may prove to be wrong. At Wuhan's oldest cemetery, newly etched headstones reveal some scope of the tragedy. Across Wuhan, there are at least 16 cemeteries just like this. Tao Yu has questions. His 69-year-old father died from COVID in February. The government sent about $600 as compensation. It felt hollow. I still don't know where the virus came from. If you ask me who to blame, I don't know. And he doesn't believe the government's death toll, officially fewer than 4,700. Now, so many graves, row after row, stand as monuments to lives lost. In this scarred city, synonymous with outbreak, loss, and now one year later, recovery. For CBS This Morning Saturday, Ramey Innocencio, Wuhan. Help the Pan Pacific and the Lower Mainland Christmas Bureau keep spirits bright. This year's Christmas Wish Breakfast will not be happening, but the help and need is greater now than ever. Your toys and or cash donation can be dropped off outside the Pan Pacific Vancouver Hotel next to the bellhop desk. This year, simply donate at treeofhearts.ca while sharing your inspirational message to a variety child, which we'll post on our virtual Christmas tree. Plus, each day we'll read one lucky donor's message live on Global News Morning. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC, celebrating 60 years of broadcasting. Celebrating 60 years as BC's News. Barry's here with Sports. And Barry, it sounds like once again the NBA is ahead of the game, so to speak, when it comes to uh, pro sports and playing during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Leading the way. The NHL still hasn't have a date. The NBA's almost there already with their new season. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, as the NBA gets ready to begin its new regular season, December 22nd, that's just 17 days from now, the league announced today that teams best adhere to the COVID-19 protocols or they will be subject to hefty fines. They could lose draft picks and offending players could also be suspended. The league has sent out a 158-page document outlining all of the rules. There will be no bubble this year. All teams will play out of their home arenas, with the exception of the Raptors, who will play out of Tampa Bay because of the restricted border travel into Canada. Raptors, by the way, play their first preseason game a week from tonight.
The Seahawks have five games uh, to go before the, uh, to, before the end of the season. They begin a string of three straight games against very weak and mediocre opponents. They host the Giants and Jets, and then they travel to Washington over the next three weeks. They should be easy wins. But nothing is a sure thing in the NFL, unless you're talking about Chanel breaking it all down in the red zone. division leaders when the Seahawks host the Giants at Lumen Field. Now, while they are just four and seven, New York is still fighting for the NFC East title, but do have questions at the quarterback position coming into this one. Seattle, on the other hand, took care of business Monday night and now have the easiest remaining schedule in the NFL beginning Sunday afternoon. After starting the season 0-5, the Giants have won three straight, but last week Daniel Jones was hurt. Now he still has a chance to play on Sunday. If he can't go, Colt McCoy takes over. He was 6 for 10 with 31 passing yards last week and has only played six games since 2015. He now faces a Seattle front that has 19 sacks in its last four games. The Giants will have to go run heavy, assuming they don't fall behind early. Wayne Gallman coming off a season best, 94 yards and a touchdown. He carried the ball 24 times and could get a bigger workload, but the Seahawks do have the third best run defense in the NFL. Speaking of the defense, the Giants have been playing well, allowing an average of just 18 points in the last three weeks. They've forced eight turnovers in those games and are tied for fourth in the NFL in takeaways with 18. DK Metcalf leads the NFL in receiving after a 10 reception, 177 yard game on Monday. What's impressive, Metcalf has 25 catches of at least 25 yards. That is number one in the league. He has 500 yard games with nine touchdowns, which is fifth most among receivers. All of a sudden, that defense has turned a corner, allowing just 38 points in the last two games and finally finding that pass rush, posting eight sacks and an interception. Now, Jamal Adams has been great since returning from injury. He leads the team with six and a half sacks, and he's only played seven games. The Seahawks are a perfect 5-0 at home this season, but through 11 games, have only covered the spread six times, while the total has gone under in three straight weeks. All right, thanks, Chanel. Third round of the PGA Tours Mayakoba Classic from the uh, tropical Playa del Carmen in Mexico. Tony Finau, tee ball on the par three fourth, right at it, over top of the hole, spins it back and in for the ace. Finau made a big move, got into a tie for the lead, but three bo bogeys on the back. He's now tied seventh at 11 under. The leader continues to be Argentina's Emiliano Grillo. Four-shot lead through two rounds, sinks the birdie at 13. 16 under, has a one-shot lead over Tom Hoagie. Corey Connors, the lone Canadian to make the cut, is tied 20th at eight under. English Premiership, Manchester United at West Ham. First-time fans have been allowed in stadiums since last March. Limited to just 2,000 lucky ones. Second half, West Ham up a goal until this beauty. Paul Pogba 
steps into it and thumps one from 30 yards out. What a strike from Pogba. Just three minutes later, quick ball into the box for Mason Greenwood, who turns and fires inside the far post. United turning this match around in a hurry. Now lead 2-1, and then 10 minutes after that, Marcus Rashford sent in alone by Juan Mata. Rashford showing his quality. Man United on a roll. Fourth straight EPL win. They jump all the way into fourth place on 19 points. Also from Stamford Bridge, Olivier Giroud and Chelsea taking on Leeds. Giroud scored four goals midweek in a Champions League win over Sevilla, and he scores in his sixth straight Premier League start. Beautiful redirect there. It's 1-1. And then in the 61st, Chelsea with the corner kick, and it's executed perfectly. Kurt Zuma heads it in. Chelsea win 3-1, top of the table for now, but Spurs and Liverpool play matches tomorrow and can jump back ahead of Chelsea. Formula One racing in Bahrain on back-to-back weekends. George Russell in the cockpit of Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes. Hamilton testing positive for COVID on Monday, having to skip the race. Russell has tested for Mercedes in the past, been driving all year for Williams. He was quickest in the two practice sessions yesterday and almost captured the pole, finished .026 seconds off Mercedes teammate Valtteri Bottas, who claimed his fifth pole this season. Canadian Lance Stroll qualified 10th. People in the Okanagan have begun noticing a giant star up on a hill. When the mystery of where it came from was finally solved, three little boys started getting a lot of attention and a day they'll never forget. Kimberly Davidson explains. It was cool because it was the first time I got to go in a helicopter. A special treat for three Lake Country boys, pilots from Coldstream Helicopters arranged for them to get a bird's eye view of their handiwork. A two-and-a-half-meter-wide star lit up with lights sitting on the side of a mountain overlooking the community. We brought supplies up and then we built it, put lights on it. Then we brought up a battery and a solar panel and then it turned on at 4 p.m. on Friday. The reason that 11-year-old Mitchell Robertson, his 9-year-old brother Jake and their friend, 9-year-old Weston Long, went through all this effort is simple. Because everything that's going on right now is kind of not very happy, but we wanted something happy to happen in our community. Mitchell and his dad cooked up the idea and started gathering all the equipment they'd need to build the star. It took two trips to hike all of the supplies up the mountain. It was very steep and we had to take a few breaks. It was tough work. But it didn't take very long for the community to take notice and start posting on social media about the new holiday display that had suddenly appeared up on the hill. I think people really like it. And that's how the team at Coldstream Helicopters found out just who was behind this beloved new spectacle. We were just glad that we could uh, show our appreciation to those young guys that, uh, that obviously worked so hard. Well, that's pretty special that somebody took the time to go all the way up that mountain and put up a star and figure out how to keep it lit overnight. The lights are on a timer, so the star automatically lights up at 4 o'clock every afternoon, brightening the spirits of an entire community. Kimberly Davidson, Global News.
smart, kind, industrious. <laughs> Got Future leaders, perhaps. I would think so, or, or current leaders. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> They're certainly setting the bar high. Uh, Yvonne, real quick look at the weather. We have some fog overnight, a bit more of a gray day tomorrow with on and off showers. The heaviest rain, be prepared, will be Monday, Tuesday, and an ice break once again on Wednesday. Sounds good. That is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11. Stay with us now for the new reality. Have a good night.